The House will return Monday and stay in session through Thursday. The Senate will return Tuesday and stay in session through Thursday. Last week in the House, they came back to work on Tuesday and voted for two bills under suspension of the rules. On Wednesday, the House took up and passed HRES 582. That's the rule governing floor consideration of HR 2670, the National Defense Authorization Act. On Thursday, the House took up and passed HRES 583, the second rule governing floor consideration of HR 2670, the National Defense Authorization Act. Then the House began considering amendments to the NDAA, about which we will talk more in a moment. On Friday, the House passed H.R. 2670, the National Defense Authorization Act, as amended by a vote of 219 to 210, with four Republicans voting no and four Democrats voting yes. And then they were done. This week in the House, they'll return today with the first vote set for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to consider four bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, the House is going to start taking up bills to end different states of national emergency that have been in effect for a long time. H.J. Res. 68 will end a national emergency declared on October 27, 2006, regarding the Democratic Republic of the Congo. H.J. Res. 70 will end a national emergency declared on February 25, 2011, regarding Libya. H.J. Res. 74 will end a national emergency declared on May 16, 2012, regarding Yemen. H.J. Res. 71 will end a national emergency declared on May 22, 2003, regarding Iraq. And then finally, we have one regarding Syria that was declared on May 11, 2004. Then the House is scheduled to begin consideration of H.R. 3941. That's the Schools Not Shelters Act, which would prohibit the use of the facilities of a public elementary or secondary school or an institution of higher learning from being used to provide shelter for aliens who have been admitted who, I'm sorry, who have not been admitted under the law, as New York City Mayor Eric Adams has proposed as a solution to the problem caused by the Biden administration's refusal to enforce immigration law and secure the border. On Wednesday, the House will convene at 11 a.m. for the purpose of receiving, in a joint meeting with the Senate, the President of the State of Israel. After his speech, the House will complete its consideration of H.R. 3941, the Schools Not Shelters Act. Then the House will begin consideration of H.R. 3935, the Securing Growth and Robust Leadership in American Aviation Act, also known as the Federal Aviation Administration Reauthorization Bill. On Thursday, the House will complete its consideration of H.R. 3935. Last week in the Senate, the Senate returned on Monday and voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Hoxichil Torres Small to be Deputy Secretary of Agriculture. On Tuesday, the Senate voted to confirm him to that position. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on and then to confirm the nominations of Rosemary Hidalgo to be director of the Violence Against Women office in the Department of Justice and Kimberly Catherine Evanson to be a U.S. District Judge for the Western District of Washington. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Tiffany Cartwright to be a U.S. District Judge also for the Western District of Washington. On Wednesday, the Senate voted to confirm her to that position. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on and then to confirm the nomination of Myung Jae Jun to be a U.S. District Judge for the District of Massachusetts. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture 
on the nomination of Kalpana Kotagal to be a member of the Equal, Oppor the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. On Thursday, the Senate voted to confirm him to that position. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nominations of David M. Ullman to be an assistant administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency and Rachel Bloomkatz to be a U.S. Circuit Judge for the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. And then they were done. This week in the Senate, as I said, the Senate will return Tuesday with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m. At that time, the Senate will proceed to two roll call votes. The first will be on confirmation of Rachel Bloomkatz to be a U.S. Circuit Judge for the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. The second will be a vote on cloture on the motion to proceed to S-226. That's the FY 2024 National Defense Authorization Act. Then the Senate will spend the next two days debating its version of the NDAA. So, let's talk about the NDAA. The National Defense Authorization Act is the policy bill that authorizes all the programs on which the Pentagon spends money. The overall spending level in the House this year is $874.2 billion, including $841.5 billion for the Department of Defense and another $32.2 billion for national security programs within the Department of Energy. The bill includes a 5.2% pay raise for members of the military. That's the biggest pay increase in 20 years. The bill came out of the committee on a strongly bipartisan basis. The committee vote was 58 to 1, and that's the way it usually goes. This traditionally is a bipartisan bill. Then came the amendments. The House Freedom Caucus and other conservatives decided to take a stand against the Biden administration's decision to use the military to force social change in our society. So the conservatives came at the bill with amendments. In fact, more than 1,500 amendments were filed to the bill, more than had ever happened before. The Rules Committee began its meeting Tuesday afternoon to decide which amendments would be made in order for floor votes. The meeting lasted more than 12 hours. And the decision was made to offer two rules, something I cannot remember seeing before. The first rule made in order certain less controversial amendments, while the second rule made in order the more controversial amendments. In the end, the Rules Committee offered two rules that made 80 different amendments in order. But 80 amendments would take days and days of floor time to vote, so they ended up with votes on 30 different amendments, many of which were combined and voted on and blocked. Of the 30 amendment votes offered, 16 were agreed to. Texas Republican Ronnie Jackson won a majority to agree to his amendment number five, which prohibits the Secretary of Defense from paying for or reimbursing expenses relating to abortion services. Montana Republican Matt Rosendale won a majority to agree to his amendment number 10, which prohibits TRICARE from covering and the Department of Defense from furnishing sex reassignment surgeries, and gender hormone treatments for transgender individuals. South Carolina Republican Ralph Norman won a majority to agree to his amendment, which prohibits provision of gender transition procedures, including surgery or medication, through the Exceptional Family Member Program. Texas Republican Chip Roy won majorities to agree to his two amendments targeting DEI programs at the Pentagon. Arizona Republican Eli Crane won a majority to agree to his amendment, number 32, smacking affirmative action at the Pentagon. Indiana Republican Jim Banks won a majority to agree to his amendment, prohibiting affirmative action at the service academies. 
And Chip Roy, again, got a majority to agree to his amendment to, to prohibit DOD from carrying out President Biden's climate change executive orders. There were also several important amendments that were considered but defeated. Georgia Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene offered Amendment 21 to strike $300 million of Ukraine funding. That was defeated by a vote of 89 to 341 with 130 Republicans joining with 211 Democrats to defeat 89 Republican yes votes. Florida Republican Matt Gates offered an amendment to prohibit security assistance for Ukraine. That was defeated by a vote of 358 to 70, with 149 Republicans combining with 209 Democrats to defeat the 70 Republican yes votes. Then came Ohio Republican Warren Davidson, who offered Amendment Number 24 to require the president to submit to Congress a report that contains a strategy for U.S. involvement in Ukraine. That was defeated by a vote of 129 to 301, with 90 Republicans combining with 211 Democrats to overcome the votes of 129 Republicans. Republican Andy Ogle of Tennessee offered Amendment Number 25 to strike Section 1224 of the bill, which extends Lend-Lease authority to Ukraine. That amendment was defeated by a vote of 71 to 360. So on three of the four Ukraine-related amendments, more than two-thirds of the House Republicans voted to keep the assistance programs in place. In the end, the vast majority of the conservatives in the House were satisfied with the product. All but four Republicans voted for the final bill as amended. The Senate will take up its version of the NDAA this week. The Senate version will be different and likely will not contain much of the strong conservative language that was just added to the House version of the bill. Once the Senate passes its version, the two bills will have to be reconciled somehow. It's likely that many of the amendments added by House conservatives will be struck from the final product. But Senate Democrats and the White House will not be able to just ignore the demands of House conservatives. They succeeded in adding the amendments and then passing the bill. So they've earned the right to be taken seriously. Now an update on cocaine at the White House. To the surprise of absolutely no one who's been paying attention, the Secret Service announced last Thursday that it had concluded its investigation of the bag of cocaine found at the White House and determined that because it had found no fingerprints or DNA, it could not determine who brought the cocaine into the White House complex and left it in a public area. Quote, without physical evidence, the investigation will not be able to sing out a, single out a person of interest from the hundreds of individuals who passed through the vestibule where the cocaine was discovered, said a statement from the Secret Service. Quote, at this time, the Secret Service's investigation is closed due to a lack of physical evidence, end quote. White House officials refused to consider the possibility that White House staff should be drug tested. Now an update on the First Amendment versus big tech and big government. Just hours after U.S. District Judge Terry Doughty denied a request from the Department of Justice to stay his order banning almost all communication between key agencies of the federal government, and social media companies like Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, the Department of Justice filed an appeal with the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals seeking to overturn Doughty's order. The DOJ appeal signaled that it could take the case all the way to the Supreme Court, saying that at a minimum, the Circuit Court should put the order on hold for 10 days to allow the Supreme Court time to consider an application for a stay.
Doughty had a simple reason for denying DOJ's request for a stay. Quote, although this preliminary injunction involves numerous agencies, it is not as broad as it appears. It only prohibits something the defendants have no legal right to do, contacting social media companies for the purpose of engaging, encouraging, pressuring, or inducing in any manner the removal, deletion, suppression, or reduction of content containing protected free speech posted on social media platforms. Now an update on the U.S. envoy to Iran and his potential mishandling of classified documents. Last week we discussed the fact that President Biden's envoy to Iran, Rob Malley, has lost his security clearance and has come under investigation by the FBI for potential criminal mishandling of classified information. The update to that story is that Republicans on Capitol Hill are now grousing publicly about the Biden administration's handling of Malley's case. Politico uh, said Republicans were frustrated with the Biden administration's unwillingness to share information about what led to a leave of absence and an FBI investigation of America's top Iran envoy. The clearance suspension and FBI scrutiny signaled that whatever happened or is suspected to have happened wasn't minor, and the Biden administration's attempt to obscure the situation by first neglecting to tell lawmakers and then calling it a personal leave has some accusing the State Department of deception. House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Michael McCall, Republican of Texas, is angry. He calls the administration's handling of the Malley case unacceptable and says he will seek a classified briefing this week. This week, Chris Wray is on the hot seat. On Wednesday of last week, FBI Director Chris Wray sat for six hours in front of the House Judiciary Committee for his first oversight hearing since Republicans won control of the House of Representatives. Wray was smug and a bit pretentious, I thought, and he wore an attitude that said, I'm only here because my lawyers tell me I have to be here or you might cut our funding. Ray refused to answer questions from Republicans. He refused to tell committee chairman Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, when or even if Ray would allow the FBI personnel who authored a particularly odious memo about traditional Catholics to speak to Jordan or his committee. Ray continued to insist that he could not answer if there were any paid FBI informants in the crowd of people that gathered outside the Capitol on January 6, 2021. It was a remarkably brazen attempt to bluff his way past his interrogators. And while I have to say that the vast majority of the things conservatives are upset with the, uh, with the FBI over are things that happened before Ray ever got to the FBI. Things like the failure to recommend prosecution for Hillary Clinton's mishandling of classified information or the entire Russia collusion hoax, to name two, Ray should be smart enough to understand why conservatives are rightly upset about FBI behavior. He should be more sensitive to our concerns, and he should do more to work with us to allay our concerns. Instead, he acted as if his mission was to defend the personnel and the decisions made by anyone and everyone who ever drew a paycheck from the FBI, no matter how bad their conduct or their decisions may have been. Now to the Biden crime family saga. On Wednesday of last week, Fox News Digital reported on the existence of a previously unknown email from Hunter Biden's laptop. 
The November 2015 email from a senior executive of Burisma Holdings, the Ukrainian energy firm that had just put Hunter on its board for $83,000 per month, to Hunter and his associates Devin Archer and Eric Schwerin regards, quote, a revised proposal, contract, and initial invoice for Burisma Holdings, end quote, from an American lobbying firm called Blue Star Strategies. In the email, the Ukrainian executive emphasized that what he called the ultimate purpose of the agreement was to shut down any cases slash pursuits against Nikolai in Ukraine, referring to Nikolai Zlochevsky, the chief of Burisma. The context of the email makes it clear he was responding to what he considered a too vague proposal for services from Hunter and his colleagues. Quote, my only concern is for us to be on the same page regarding our final goals, he wrote. With this in mind, I would like us to formulate a list of deliverables, including, but not limited to, a concrete course of action, including meetings slash communications, resulting in high-ranking U.S. officials in Ukraine, parenthesis, U.S. ambassador, and in U.S. publicly or in private communication slash comment, expressing their, quote, positive opinion, unquote, and support of Nikolai slash Burisma to the highest level of decision makers here in Ukraine, parenthesis, president of Ukraine, president, chief of staff, prosecutor general, etc., he continued, quote, the scope of work should also include organization of a visit of a number of widely recognized and influential current and or former U.S. policymakers to Ukraine in November, aiming to conduct meetings with and bring positive signal slash message and support on Nikolai's issue to the Ukrainian top officials above, with the ultimate purpose to close down for any cases pursuits against Nikolai in Ukraine, end quote. The email exchange came one month before then-Vice President Biden's visit to Ukraine, where he gave a speech about ending corruption in politics. During the trip, Biden pressed Ukrainian officials to fire Viktor Shokin, the prosecutor general of Ukraine, who was investigating Burisma for corruption. Shokin was fired less than four months later, in March 2016. The two IRS whistleblowers on the Hunter Biden case, 14-year veteran CI senior supervisory agent Gary Shapley and his colleague, Mr. X, will testify in public this Wednesday in front of the House Oversight and Accountability Committee, Committee Chairman James Comer of Kentucky revealed last week. Morgan Chalfont of Semaphore Media tweeted that she had been told by a committee spokesperson that the identity of Mr. X will be revealed at the hearing so both IRS whistleblowers will be known publicly. And that's our Washington Report for this week.